last chance. I am sad to stop this sermon because of that right there. So thank you. You've learned that well over the last eight or so weeks, however long this sermon has been. Uh, We are thankful as well. And I want to take a moment and thank all of our staff here and pastors here at E3 Church um, for preemptive clapping. Please let me talk too soon. The applause cue sign was not on the screens. I want to say thank you specifically to Lori and Mike for doing GLS, for going above and beyond in so many different facets as we ramp up into the fall. Now clap for Lori and Mike. And for all of our staff who have done tirelessly way more hours than required in their, whatever their hours are, uh, from, from Maribel going and doing a pool party at Wakulla Springs to Jackson being here until I think like 2 a.m. one night doing copies. I don't know. Jackson, you're always here. Thank you to all of you and specifically to two people who are no longer on staff or who have been volunteer. Uh, Dan Bellamy has been fantastic and I should have done that when I introduced Cliff because he's gone now. But, you know, he's getting a blessing without being in the room. He has volunteered to be the coordinator of all our youth activities. And he and I spent a long day at an amusement park called Wild Adventures yesterday. So say thank you to him. Give him a high five. He'll make you a balloon animal. And I know she hates this, but we have to recognize Melissa Boland. Um, <laughs> technically, Melissa resigned in February. And today's her last day. <laughs> that's, that's the beauty of working in a church. And she has selflessly given of her time, her Sundays, and, and, and no small part, kept this place going, AC on, lights on, marvelously. So we want to say thank you to you for all the work you've done and for your family's work for our church. Thank you. With that, awkward transition, but we have to have a transition. We're going to play a little Jeopardy. Time for Bible Jeopardy as we close out Philippians. Are you ready, E3 Church? All right, here's the rules of Bible Jeopardy. We have not played in a while. This is a review game for the entirety of the sermon series and a lot of fun. It is this side of the room versus that side of the room. You are this, you are that. It's very simple. You don't get to pick categories, although there are categories in a moment. I picked, we go from 100 to 300 because that is the way you play Jeopardy. None of this jumping around to 400 and the Daily Double. You go one, two, three. That's the strategy that every Jeopardy person should play. My dream is being a game show host. That is what I'll do in my retirement. Usually on Sundays where we do Bible Jeopardy, I am wearing a tie. And you all know this. I don't wear ties except for this week, but I can't sing with a tie on. So here's what we're doing. We're playing Bible Jeopardy tieless. Thank you. Are we ready? The categories are Philippians. Cash, capital, currency, and, of course, our favorite category, potpourri, which is just a little bit of everything, a little bit of everything. So we flipped a coin, and this team gets to start. Can I get a category, please? Philippians for 100. Paul writes this letter to the Philippians from this prison city. What is Rome? Thank you for saying, what is Rome? Without the question, I don't know what you said over here anyway, but... You have to answer the form of a question. This, you get the points. For 200. This young man is mentioned with care in the book as a protege of Paul. He has two other books in the Bible named after him. Mike, I knew you'd get this one. Well done. It, it hurts that they have the pastor who preached most of this sermon on this team. But that, you get the points. Well done, that. 
No claps for Mike, I see on that, okay. For 300. The hymn that Paul uses in this chapter, chapter two, says that Jesus does this verb, not in Greek and English, when he comes to earth as a man. Can you give me the non-Greek verb? Well done, Pastor Mike. <laughs> you got to think where you sit when you come to church. I'm sorry. This is, it's 100 to 500. Mike, would you pick another category? Potpourri. Potpourri for 100. <laughs> we love you. A male donkey is called a jack. And so it goes to reason that the female donkey is called this. What is a Jenny? What is a Jenny? I, 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 I'm sneaky. I'm a sneaky game show host, friends. That wasn't in my commentary. <laughs> Pastor Mike just said for those online, that wasn't in my Bible commentary, yes. This is potpourri. Give me anything. For 200. You think it's hot in Tallahassee. This planet average temperature is 880 degrees. What is Venus? Well done. Mercury is closest, but they have no atmosphere. Therefore, Venus, which has the atmosphere of all atmospheres, I guess, keeps the heat in. Well done. Back on the board, this is. For 300, and I must awkwardly turn my page. Here we go. This must be a popular place name. On every continent, there's a city named this. Who said that over here? Well done. Who are, what team are you on? Sound booth team? What is Rome? You see how I did that? The same answer in two different categories? I thought that was pretty smart. Okay. There is a Rome in every continent. I don't know about Antarctica. You have to Google that. All right. Now for the last category, money, cash, capital, currency for 100. Inflation worries are hoped to lessen by using this tool the Federal Reserve to use to tamp down demand. What is an interest rate? Well done. This is... For 200, up until 1933, the U.S. money was backed by this precious metal. Well done. Proximity helps in Bible Jeopardy too. Well done. And lastly, for 300, Jesus never asks for 10%, but instead calls a poor woman who gives this amount for the temple offering. I have no idea what you said. Can you say it slower? What? Not a tithe. Not a mite. Desmond, what do we got? What is all, all that she had? You have to shout in Bible Jeopardy. The winner is Jesus. Yay. Well done, everybody. That was super fun. And it gets us on the theme and helps us understand where we've been in this series. Probably not at all. But Paul ends this letter, Paul ends this letter here in chapter four with a personal thanks to the Philippians for all their work in supporting him. Paul's ending illustrates a reason for the letter. The Philippians church started years ago by Paul and his missionary journey, just initially starting there, has gifted Paul some amount of finance. We don't know how much money they have given Paul, but they've given him some sort of money that he is very grateful for. And he spends the entirety of the last chapter really focusing on that and this idea of contentedness, which we'll get to in a moment. His imprisonment in Rome was likely nicer than many of the other imprisonments he's gone through, but he still had numerous financial needs. 
You think about the food was provided, but the representation, both in Rome and today, was needed to be paid for. So for the Philippians to give financially showed respect for Paul and that they were generous. So with that in mind, let's open up to chapter four, starting at verse 10, and get into the text here a little bit off of Bible Jeopardy land. Paul writes this, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, and now at length you have revived your concern for me. You're indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So as he concludes this letter, he voices joy at the gift the Philippians have given to him. Probably not the first note of thanks, and we know it's not the first offering that they've given. But the at last is more, it's not throwing shade at the Philippians, let's put it that way. It is saying, thank goodness I can finally hear from you again. We, we don't live in Paul's day with the opportunity to send a Gmail or what are those things called? We go to the online sending money. Venmo, Venmo yeah, yeah, Venmo. I don't even know what that is. We, he, they couldn't Venmo a money. It's through an actual literal person who would deliver handwritten letters across the entire continent in this case. We know that from his trials in Jerusalem to the travel to the shipwreck on Malta, and then this transition to Rome would have caused a huge strain in his communication. So likely he is authentically, this is his first email he's gotten you know, in six months. Can you imagine that? Paul continues, verse 11. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation to be content. I know how to be brought low and how to be abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In Stoic philosophy, which is Greek, the word content that Paul uses here in verse 11. Can we put verse 11 back up? The word content described a person who accepted whatever came. Circumstances that they could not change were regarded as the will of God and fretting over them was useless. This philosophy fostered a self-sufficiency in which all the resources for coping with life were located within a person. I love this mentality. And I use this idea as a young man. I had a burn of a, of a just a, kind of a weird accident when I was a little infant. And so I've had five or four surgeries. I don't know how many surgeries I've had. And the one that was the most encumbering was I had my whole arm wrapped up in this giant cast and they took hip from my skin, hip from my skin. Let's try that again. Skin from my hip. First thing first, second thing second. Skin from my hip and used it on my hand. It's a weird thing and it's really soft and it's kind of you know fun to scare girls in elementary school with. That's, about the benefit. I have more flexibility, less strength than an average human in my right hand. Now, this hand and being encumbered by, you know, having skin removed from my hip, I made up my mind as an eighth grader that I'm completely self-sufficient and no one will ever need to help me. So I learned how to write with my left hand horribly. I learned how to just hobble from second period to third period, and I refused help. And I remember being so proud of that until at nighttime, when I could barely walk, my hand ached, both right and left, where I was so beaten down by the day that I had nothing left to give anyone else at home or my precious video games, <laughs> Nintendo. The idea of only being relying on yourself is not a Christian one here. And so Paul saying that he is content does not mean that he's completely self-sufficient. See, Paul locates his sufficiency in Christ alone. And for those who love that hymn, you're welcome for that earworm. We do not know Paul's financial background. Likely, he would have been well off due to his education, due to his status, and his background in Judaism. 
Paul uses Jesus, though, as a source of contentedness now. Contentedness has become something of a buzzword in Christianity over the past years, and understandably so. See, on one extreme, we have a society who says that everything we have is never quite enough. You think you have cool shoes? I guarantee there's cooler ones. Who has a brand new phone out of the box in here today? There's a new one coming tomorrow via Amazon. Yeah. Who, who has a cool car? Well, I, I know there's a cooler one coming out tomorrow. Nothing is ever good enough, cool enough, fancy enough. Even the coffee drinks we have in our hand or our Coke or whatever drinks we have, there's something to add to it to be better. There's like a Coca-Cola mango pineapple twist with whatever else in it. I don't know. Nitro? Nitro? Ooh. Let's talk after service. <laughs> Fast sermons here on End Friends. I'm going to be nitro sermons on Sunday mornings. Even in Bible Jeopardy, we saw that our country historically has said that a recession is some sort of evil, awful thing. When in fact, at times, not growing is good. When illness hits, when pandemics ravage the world, when life is chaotic, it is sometimes healthy not to have the mindset of grow, 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 grow. Individually, there are seasons we have to press and pump the brakes. We have to just chill. There's sometimes there's change that you're not anticipating. There's events that happen that you have no control over that's all out of sight of your control and you have to just take a moment and accept, not in a stoic way, but that Christ can be all for you. Corporately, this is true too. That whatever place you work, whatever church you attend, thank you for attending E3, there are times where we need to decline both in attendance, in money, in a variety of other metrics, and that is the healthiest thing in that season. See, on one extreme, we live in a land in a time where we reward gluttony and coveting. Nothing can ever make you happy coupled with the fact that we have to pursue joy, 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 joy. On the other hand, in this odd stoic remix, we have this competition of holiness that I somehow can be fine with just as I am and what God gave me no matter what. Society looks at this and sounds great, but there are times where we do need to expect more of ourselves and we do need to reach and grow. For example, all the time we hear people saying, well, I just don't have enough money and yet they do nothing about that problem to solve it for themselves. In complete irony, we see that there's this false sense of holiness or frivolousness that we actually glutton on frivolousness. So on the other side of the spectrum, there are those who glutton on this frivolousness. I'm so holy, for example, that I gave my only jacket to a poor person because I believe in Matthew 6, and so they, they kind of brag about being less than everything and everyone else. But we see that in the middle of this spectrum, and actually, to be totally honest, it breaks the spectrum completely. There is no gluttony. There is no frivolousness. Paul completely shatters the entire spectrum, and he says, my contentedness, my reliance is completely on Jesus Christ. Paul's words here reinvent the entire human focus off this world, off of myself, off of a fake humility and trying to put our heart's desire with material to instead a complete reliance upon Christ. 
the entire New Testament, but specifically every week here in Philippians, champions this concept of Jesus's coming kingdom that we see ourselves taking on. Back in the first chapter, Paul talked about rejoicing in suffering. In the second chapter, he talked about Jesus giving up of himself and being a servant, not being the master, even though Jesus should be. Jesus was a servant by putting on human flesh and to work out his salvation with fear and trembling. In chapter three, he just says, hey, don't put any confidence in your flesh. Chapter three, he also says, put your citizenship in heaven, not here on earth. And then last week, Pastor Lord did a fantastic job talking about being content and rejoicing in being content. And it's a wonderful message. See, what Paul is saying is not to add more and more of this life. What Paul is asking you to do is consider adding more and more and more of Jesus Christ. When we add more and more and more of Christ, the balance in this world becomes not insignificant, but becomes right-sized and becomes the ability of an orientation that you never had before. Through the entire chapter, Paul is writing to the church in Philippi about a contentedness based upon the kingdom and rule of a servant-minded Jesus Christ. And now maybe the categories of jeopardy are making all the more sense, except minus potpourri, of course. See, a kingdom contentedness makes orientation of our wealth and belongings. It's not bad to have new shoes, to have Coke with nitro in it. Maybe that's bad, actually. We'll talk. New shoes, new car, new house, have finances. It's not a sin to be wealthy. No, 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 no. The orientation of where that wealth resides in my heart, in my mind, and even most importantly in my soul, that's what's important. Yes, this is the dreaded money sermon in some sense where we lock the doors and we're going to pass the plates three times. (laughs) Why are you laughing? A kingdom contentedness allows for a new spectrum. See, friends, some of us have the opportunity and we can make more money and that's a good thing. Some of us maybe have never ever given money to any nonprofit before, let alone E3 Church. And this is an opportunity for me to consider that my contentedness and my orientation of my wealth on Jesus should free me to put something in the weird giant orange or blue or green or rainbow color pyramid out there. What color is it all of a sudden? I just, thanks, okay. (laughs) Some of us are called to grow the kingdom through other nonprofits. You have passions in some of our overseas partnerships and you need to financially bless those. Some of you have opportunities to bless partnerships we partner with, where their ability first with wheelchair ramps, whether through Surf Tallahassee, that has so much need on Saturday mornings and thankful for all those who help there, whether through outside of what E3 does in a variety of other contexts and places that only you know God's called you to. Some of us need to consider the amount we're giving. Some of us have no idea what percentage, but you know you're giving with a free and open heart, and that's what Jesus commands to give everything if called. It's not about a 10% or a 1% or 25%, but when's the last time you actually considered the percent you give? That's the challenge. Years ago at a church I was helping pastor, we had an opportunity where someone came and gave one of those matching grants, and those are great. 
said, I'll give up to $250,000. Every dollar is given to retire the debt of this church. And we said, great, awesome. And then there was like 200 pages of add-ons that you will only accept this gift if they're used for this amount of debt. And they're only if it's actually written out with this in the memo and this only. And by the time you got through that, you said, boy, he's really only wanting to do this one thing that he wants to do, which is in weird way, not really generous. He's just kind of controlling where he wants the budget of the church to go. And it got super awkward. Like my preaching right now. <laughs> like, if you're going to give, give. But 47 stipulations on the gift isn't a gift. It's a burden. Give freely and out of an abundance of contentedness. See, friends, the fact that anyone ever gives finance to any church is pretty remarkable. Tangibly, you're not getting a product back, except maybe coffee or a Coke. You aren't going to get a double blessing back. I'm sorry to tell some of you this. You don't get blessed more if you give more in the offering. You've been told that, and that's just a biblical lie. Bad preaching, bad theology. God's not going to bless you tenfold if you give 10 cents. You're not going to get $10 back or $10 back. I can't do math. The point of this is, you do not get something back by giving. You show your orientation to the kingdom of God and to Jesus Christ when you give. And it's a kingdom, a kingdom contentedness that Paul has that naturally is a reaction that sees the church as the opportunity with finance, because we need finances, just call it out, to help and do our mission that only the church can do. The Philippians got that. My question is this morning to you. Do you believe in a God who has authority over every area of your life but conveniently excuses finances? Or can you see the fact that the kingdom of God uniquely and beautifully being built right here, right now with transparency, accountability, and humility for the four full-time staff now, four part-time, the physical and needs and focus on making disciples through worship, connection, and service? Whether $2 or $200, $2,000 or $2 million, because some of us in here can do all of those, we see the legacy built and the orientation of contentedness in Jesus Christ. The power and the freedom, the freeing up of my financial side of my life can give. We focus on the eternity as Paul did and the Philippians. With that, I just want to say a prayer before we transition to the next song over these words and over your hearts as we contemplate this idea and continue in worship. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the opportunities we have to consider our financial wherewithal, to consider where we've come from and where we are called to go. And God, I ask you to bless everyone in this room, not with financial blessings, but true heavenly blessings, that we can reorient our minds, our hearts, and even something as intimate as our finances in and through you. God, I bless these words and I bless the next song we sing together as an offering to you and your kingdom. I say, amen.